Father, the words of our lips are indeed the prayer of our hearts. Would you be our vision? Lord, you are the best thought. There is, there, there is nothing better than you. And so as we come to your word, would we see you? Would we see Jesus? We pray in his perfect name. Amen. Please, have a seat. Well, friends, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. This is the the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to read starting in verse 14. If if you have a a pew Bible there, you'll find this on page 1030. Revelation, as I said, is the, the last book of the Bible. It's the summit of the Bible. And as we approach this peak, we often feel like the top is it's covered in mist. It's certainly a, a mysterious book, and it's easy to feel, I don't know, a little altitude sickness as we, as we come to these, these pages. But we should be bold, I think, bold to, to press on. Why? Because this is an amazing book. And the purpose of this book is actually a very practical one. It's to provide comfort. Comfort to me, comfort to you, comfort to the church as we struggle with, with evil in this world. And the great theme of this book is victory. Christ's victory over evil and through our union with him, the church's victory over evil. Following our captain, we are more than conquerors, the scriptures assure us. Now, at the start of this book of Revelation, Jesus writes seven letters Seven letters that go to seven different churches. Now, these churches were real uh, churches that existed just like our congregation some 2,000 years ago. But these letters also have profound and lasting significance for the church here today. And so we're going to give our attention to the last of these letters, the letter to Laodicea, as we consider together this morning our need for revival. Let's read together, Revelation 3. I'll start in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve, to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me in my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This 
is the word of the Lord. Father, as we come now to your word, meet with us and equip us, we pray, to live life without pretending. Build our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. So every few weeks, our so clan for Scythe always gathers for a family movie night. Now, it's normally on a Friday night. It's been the end of the long week. We get together, and then we dominate some pizza, and then we have an argument over which movie we're going to watch. And then we pull the popcorn out of the microwave, and we go over, and we all kind of collapse on the couch, and arms and legs and laps all kind of interweave until we're set, we're ready, we're good to go. You, you know, you've all, you've all lived this experience yourself. Then, about 20 minutes later, something happens nearly every single time. Nearly every single time, this guy falls asleep. <laughs> ne- really, nearly every time. Now, I don't know, do I have any movie sleepers? Any other movie sleepers out here? Okay. I have seen half of so many movies, you know? Have you seen that movie? Well, I've seen the start and I've seen the finish. (laughs) I don't really know what happened in between. Now, it's not really my plan. I don't intend to do this. It just seems to happen. In in fact, I don't even know I'm asleep until Rosie wakes me up, until my wife wakes me up. That's how being asleep works, you know? I'm watching the movie and then the next thing I know is, James, you're sleeping. To which I wake up and and what do I say? I say, no, I'm not, (laughs) right? And she's like, yes, you are, and you know, you're snoring too. Wake up, wake up from this, from this slumber. Well, as a church, we're taking the next few weeks to consider the topic of revival. The topic of revival. Over the next few weeks, what we want to do is take, let's take an honest look at our own souls. I'll take an honest look at mine. You take an honest look at yours. Let's take an honest look at, at our own souls and ask how, how am I really doing spiritually? How, how are you really doing spiritually? How are we really doing spiritually? An honest look at our own souls and, and an honest look at our, our, own, our own church. Not just how we're doing individually, but how are we doing corporately? Are we alive to God? Do you feel alive to God? Is God in our midst? This morning, we want to consider together our need for revival. Why are we studying this topic of of revival? We want to study together our our need for revival from this passage in Revelation. And we want to turn there, uh, pick up your Bible if you have it, and, and have a sense of expectation as we're eager to hear the words of Jesus, the words of he who describes himself in verse 14 as the Amen. That great name the Amen. We have the Amen's words this morning, and let's look at them for a moment. Why do we need revival? Well, the first thing we see comes in verses 15 and 16, where we see that we need revival because, uh, like this sleepy preacher on movie night, it's easy to be a sleepy Christian. We need revival because it's easy to be a sleepy Christian. Let's look at this idea together. Start in verse 15 where Jesus paints this really powerful picture. He starts by saying, you see it there, I know your works. I know your works. Isn't there something um, beautifully unmasking about coming to Jesus? You know, as we say, hey, folks, over the next few weeks, let's really take an honest look at our own souls. Let's really take an honest look at our own church. We're taking this look before the one who already knows. 
who already knows what we're like, who already knows who we are. Now, on one hand, that's a little unnerving, but on another hand, I think it's, it's freeing. Why is it freeing? Because, you know, very often, fear of being found out is worse than actually being found out. You've done something, you're embarrassed about something, you're ashamed of something, and the fear of keeping that hidden and worrying about whether the truth will out, worrying about whether the other shoe will drop creates this tremendous pressure, creates this tremendous tension. And yet, when, when the game is up, there's this lifting from our souls. And we feel free to be honest with ourselves and be honest with others because the truth has, has already come out. And so Jesus says, I know your works. And so if there's anywhere we're free to be honest about how we're really doing, it's with Jesus. Because he already knows. So he starts, I know your works. What does he know about the Laodiceans and by extension, us? He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Now, Jesus, the greatest preacher of all time, uses an illustration here that would have really connected with the Laodiceans. Laodicea's water supply came from hot springs about six miles away. And so by the time the water got to the city, it was no longer hot, but nor was it cold. It was lukewarm. It was somewhere in between. And so it's like when I, uh, you know, Far too many a morning, I'll pick up Starbucks on my way to work and I'll arrive and I'll put it on my desk and then I'll kind of get caught up in a bunch of other things. And then when I get back to it, you know, later than I realize, I'll pick it up and take a big swig and it's that kind of lukewarm coffee that kind of meets you. It's kind of, ugh, right? Well, Jesus is saying, your spiritual lives are like your water. Your spiritual lives are like that half-drunk cup of coffee tepid, listless, limp. You're not cold to the things of faith, meaning you're not antagonistic, you're not opposed, you're not hostile, but nor are you hot. You're not animated by things of faith. You're not impassioned by them. You're not really alive to me. Instead, you're lukewarm, you're, you're average, you're mundane, you're mediocre, you're banal. Now, isn't what Jesus says next sort of surprising? Isn't, isn't it striking? You see it there in verse 15? Would that you were either cold or hot. I didn't expect Jesus to say that. I would prefer that you were antagonistic or animated. But don't come to me average. Don't come with this wishy-washy, half-hearted, weak, flaccid pretension of faith, if there really isn't faith there at all. One writer says, outright denial for Christ is better than phony piety. Another, to profess Christianity while remaining untouched by its fire is a disaster. Jesus likes iced coffee and he likes hot coffee. <laughs> but he doesn't like anything in between. He doesn't want us to come with a hypocritical spirit. Be for me or be against me, but don't be somewhere in between. Now, I hope if you, if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian this morning, that that's a very encouraging truth. That's an encouraging thing to know about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want you to pretend to be anything other than you are. 
Now, Jesus takes great concern in you, and he calls you personally to himself, but he doesn't want you just to pretend to be someone else. And so because Jesus is that way, we want this church to be that way too. You're very welcome here, even if you're not a believer, and so are your questions and your doubts and your complaints and all that you are, because you are welcome here. Don't feel the need to to pretend. But if, like me this morning, if you would describe yourself as a Christian this morning, I don't find these words encouraging so much as I find them challenging. Uh, Look at verse 16 to to, to kind of get the idea of what I mean. So, Jesus says, you see it there? Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How does Jesus feel about nominal Christianity? How does Jesus feel about a mere veneer of, of cultural Christianity? He issues this devastating repudiation to the Laodiceans and all who would be like them. He's not just disgusted with it, he's nauseated with it. I'll spit you out of my mouth. I mean, what a a powerful picture to give us. That's the kind of thing. If I came up with that, you'd email me complaints, you know? If I said, oh, Jesus, yeah, he feels nominal Christianity, he wants to spew them out of his mouth, you'd be like, that is inappropriate, right? Well, you know, (laughs) email Jesus at god.org because this is his picture this is his illustration this is a powerful language he wants to use to show us how nauseated he is by nominal christianity be for me or against me but don't be a hypocrite he says now this is hard for me and i think hard for us why because it's super easy to be lukewarm it's easy to be a sleepy Christian. Perhaps you've you've experienced those times of spiritual life, experienced times of spiritual vibrancy, and, and you're still committed to faith. It's not like you've turned your back on God, but slowly and subtly, little by little, in the busyness and routine, you find yourself now, do you find yourself now sort of spiritually flat? It's that slow leak of the soul where you've just kind of dozed off. You've dozed off and become a sleepy Christian without even realizing. We do this in a thousand ways, of course. Perhaps for you there was a time where you felt so alive to the Lord that first thing you did when you woke up in the morning was pull out your Bible and spend time with him. And you enjoyed it so much that you would pray throughout the day. And you're not sure when it happened, but that focus has just kind of been lost and you've just sort of drifted away from that discipline of intimacy with the Lord. Or perhaps with you, it's more with your your, your Christian friends. You used to have a a great group of believers around you who would challenge you in your faith and encourage you in your faith, and you enjoyed building those relationships that were centered around those things that matter most. Now, you don't exactly know when it happened because you still know these people, but you don't really pour into each other in the same way that that you used to do. Or perhaps for you, it's, it's service. There was a time where you gladly gave of yourself, both in your job and even in your free time, to, to serving others. And you enjoyed the sense of purpose that comes from being involved in and contributing to something that's bigger than yourself. And again, you're not quite sure where it happened, but you just sort of lost that perspective. 
job just became a paycheck. Evenings became for TV. And slowly but surely, you just drifted away from having that sort of service to the Lord. <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> perhaps you're one of these crazy people uh, who used to be so excited about giving to the Lord that you made a spreadsheet to make sure you tithed. And again, you enjoyed it because you enjoyed glad generosity and that feeling of joyful dependence. And then life happens. You decided, I'm going to pay off this bill. I'm going to pay off that debt. Slowly but surely, you meant to get back to it, but but never did. And you drifted away from that glad dependence on the Lord. I doubt there's any believer who can't remember a time in their lives where they really wanted their every decision to please the Lord. Their every decision to, to, to please the Lord and you enjoyed walking with him and enjoyed the freedom of conscience that comes from walking his good, blessed paths for us. And then little by little, at some point, you just start to compromise. One thing, then another thing. And now you're embarrassed about some of the things you've been involved in. You just drifted away from making the Lord your priority. And so this text comes to us and says, in one of these ways, or maybe a thousand more, do we find ourselves sitting here this morning lukewarm? Not hot, not cold, just something in between. We didn't intend for it to be this way. We didn't plan on it being this way. We just dozed off and fell asleep. We struggle with this. I struggle with this. You struggle with this. I think we all need revival. Why? Because it's easy to be a sleepy Christian. Point one. Second thing we see in our text comes from verse 17, where we see that, yes, it's easy to be a sleepy Christian, but we also need revival because, like me on movie nights, it's easy to be a sleepy church. It's easy to be a sleepy Christian, and it's easy to be a sleepy church. Let's pick up in verse 17 as Jesus addresses the Laodiceans. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Now, the church at Laodicea was rich. They were a a wealthy congregation, and by the sounds of things, they knew it. The city was located at the convergence of three major highways, and so the whole city quickly flourished and prospered and became very wealthy. It was a commercial center, a city of banks and finance. It was a cultural center, a city of of theaters and, and sporting events. A city so rich that the inhabitants turned down government aid when an earthquake devastated the city in AD 60. So these are a a rich, wealthy people. Laodicea is the home of the capable. It's home to the competent. It's home to the can-do, and they know it. And so they boast about their wealth. I am rich. They boast about their success, I have prospered. They boast even about their, their self-sufficiency. I need nothing. And so what we see is their, their worldly wealth, their success in outward things, had made them prideful, had made them conceited, had made them almost defiant in a way. Perhaps they imagined that their success was a sign of God's favor to them. 
you interview a Laodicean church member and they say, oh yes, look around, see how blessed we are, see how good we have been. But Jesus, see he has a different take on them? See the rest of verse 17? You say these things not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What a contrast. Jesus says, you say, but you are. In other words, this is your opinion, but let me introduce you to the facts. This is what you think, but let me give you a dose of reality. You think of yourselves as rich, prosperous, in need of nothing, but in fact you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wretched, meaning spiritually miserable and, and bankrupt. Pitiable, which literally means in need of mercy. Poor, Jesus uses a very interesting word that describes not those who have very few resources, but the poor who have nothing at all. Blind, in the sense that they they don't even realize their desperate condition. Naked, which is the Bible's metaphor for, for shame. Can you picture such a church, one that combines these characteristics? They gather together for worship, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Their wealth, their worldly wealth, has blinded them to their spiritual poverty. Wealth has blinded them to poverty. As a church, they've become comfy, they've become cozy, and they've fallen asleep. Now, I don't know, how do you feel as we, as we reflect on such a church? Because I don't feel smug, I feel danger. I feel, I feel a sense of, of danger. <laughs> McLean Presbyterian Church, are we not wealthy? Have we not prospered? Do we not need for nothing? Do we not live in the nation's capital, the home of the capable, the home of the competent, the home of the can-do? Could we not find that wealth and success would lead us to a sense of of false self-sufficiency? And what what a great word to a church that's in a season like we are. What a great word to a church that's in a season like we are. You know, you could imagine interviewing a church member here and them saying, look around and see how blessed we are. Behold, we have new services. Behold, we have new properties. Behold, our parking lot overfloweth, right? (laughs) Amen, everyone says. (laughs) And you see, look, of course, these are good things. These are, these are God things. And in fact, you know, in the life of a healthy church, you need to take care of services and properties and parking lots. That's, that's part of it. But it's not the ultimate thing we're aiming for. It's not what we're about as a church. The welfare of, of my soul and the welfare of, of your soul is focused on much greater realities than these necessary logistics, necessary as they are. As a church, we're... We're aiming for a true depth of spiritual conversion. And I like the old word. I like conversion. Where we will see people who are far from God, people who don't know the Lord, brought into a relationship with Jesus that changes their life, not just today, but for eternity. 
that the Lord would really use this church to redirect eternal destinies by his grace. As a church, we're aiming for spiritual conversion. We're also aiming for a sense of spiritual formation. We're aiming to see people who who are believers equipped moment by moment, day by day, to follow this Christ with a sense of of joy and obedience, with, with joyful obedience. Because, church, we don't want to be those seeds that were planted in shallow soil, that spring up and then wither. And I don't, want, I don't want my faith to falter. And I don't want your faith to falter. I don't want our faith to falter. I want us to live well and in this family even die well by his grace. We're aiming for spiritual conversion, spiritual formation. We're also aiming for a sense of spiritual usefulness for a people who are following the Lord to then give ourselves away to our friends, to our neighbors, even to the nations, because we've been given so much by his grace. This passage challenges us. Don't allow your wealth to blind you to your spiritual poverty. Church, don't become comfy. Don't become cozy. Don't fall asleep. Are we awake are we awake this morning? If your neighbor's not, now's the time to wake him up, right? Um, are we awake as a church? It's so easy to be a sleepy Christian. It's so easy to be a sleepy church. And would Jesus not come to us and say, verse 17, McLean, you say you're rich. You say you've prospered. You say you need nothing, but you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Why do we need revival? Because it's easy to fall asleep as a Christian, as a church. And we want both to be alive to God individually, corporately. We want to be alive and awake to God. And that's why we're doing this series. We've got a lot of ground to cover over the next few weeks. Now, wouldn't it be terrible if the sermon ended there? You know, we all suck, the word of the Lord. You know, (laughs) see you next week, right? Well, thankfully, Jesus isn't quite done with us yet. He has something to cover this morning before we we wrap up. Something that's for those who are asleep individually or uh, corporately as uh, Christians or as a church. The rest of the passage has something else to say because after issuing this stern rebuke, he picks up again in verse 18. Do you see it there? Jesus continues, I counsel you. We didn't get very far. But don't you love that? Isn't that great? All authority in heaven on earth belongs to him. He could say, I command you. But he doesn't say that. He says, I counsel you. Jesus comes tenderly, graciously, gently. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Well, what are we reasoning about, Lord? He says, you see it there? Buy from me. Buy from me what? Well, first, gold refined by fire, white garments, and salve to anoint your eyes. Come to me, in other words, Jesus says, and buy salvation. Salvation is is gold because it makes you rich. Salvation is is a garment because it, it covers up your shame. Salvation is salve because it removes your spiritual blindness. But don't we need to ask, 
how can we come and buy those things? Jesus, you've just told us that we're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. How can we come to you and buy anything? And the prophet Isaiah says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. We need to buy of Jesus in the sense that we must have a stake in him. We must be found in him. But the price, it's free. We've got to have a stake in him, but we get that stake by grace through faith. The only thing we contribute to our salvation, as David reminded us, is, is our own sin. We're reminded of this notion of how it's all about him and his work in verse 19, where we see, is there anything better than this? I love this. Jesus comes to lukewarm Christians, to the lukewarm church with whom he's thoroughly nauseated, and he says, verse 19, those whom I love are approved and disciplined. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I come into him and eat with him and he with me. Isn't this beautiful? Jesus is saying, if my words sounded harsh, understand, I only say hard things in order to heal. And I, I love you enough to do that. I love you enough to say hard things in order that you might be healed. And here I am taking the initiative with those I love to draw you back into relationship with me. Then comes verse 21. You see it? The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Now, just stop. What? Okay. I know we're in church. I know we're going to read the Bible. But don't, don't gloss over that. We read that again. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is saying, all my blessings, all my benefits, all my riches, the lavish grace that is eternity, I will share with those who are my own. All that belongs to me will belong to them in eternity. Our hope is a future hope where we will truly want for nothing. And so on the back of all that, Jesus wraps up his letter, wraps up his sermon with a very simple statement of application. You see it there? Verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear all that I have said. And I wonder this morning if, if this word is for you. Have you heard? Do you, do you hear this word this morning, this, this gospel word? It's so easy to be a sleepy Christian. It's so easy to be a sleepy church. But I know pers- personally, I'm tired of that. And, and I mean that. I mean personally. I'm part, tired of being sleepy myself. I'm not tired of you. you, you you're not, you're not tired of being asleep? asleep? You know, if I, if I ask you, tell me about a time when you were spiritually alive. What comes to mind? Uh, perhaps you think of when you first became a Christian and you had this awesome zeal. 
Perhaps you think of when you were in college and you had these great relationships. Perhaps you think about when you were a newlywed and the two of you joined a great church and a great small group. Or perhaps you think of a missions trip you went on and this sort of amazing mountaintop experience you had. Or, or perhaps you think of a, a really hard season, a tremendously difficult time of suffering in which the Lord showed up in really surprising and, and amazing ways. I can point back to all of them, but there's a sense in which I'm sick of that. Why? Because I don't want my answer, you know, when did you feel spiritually alive? I don't want my answer to be some form of yesterday. Even for me, college was ages ago, right? Is that, that, that's what we're building our hope in? Some of them 20 years ago, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago? There's got to be more. Tell me, somebody tell me that there's more. And yet, if we're honest about our spiritual life, as I'm honest about my soul, as you're just honest with yourself as you sit there now, will often feel like, yeah, I still believe. I do believe. But I'm sleepy. And the church seems sleepy. Friends, if we're asleep this morning, if you're asleep this morning, Rosie, my wife, she won't wake you up. Okay? But the alarm bell is ringing. The alarm bell, it is ringing. And we need to be careful here because Christ doesn't command us to wake ourselves up. Quick side note here. You've got to be careful. When we talk about things that are convicting to us and give us a sense of our sin and our awareness of it, we need to be very careful what we do with that. Because Jesus doesn't say, wake up and do a better job or I'll spit you out of my mouth. No, Jesus doesn't command that we wake ourselves up. Jesus shows up and wakes us up himself. And do you see his ringtone? See his ringtone in verse 20? The verse says, Behold, I am standing at the door and knocking. It's not like Jesus is like, Oh, they're still asleep. He stands there. If anyone hears my voice. Now, listen. Isn't the alarm clock annoying? Right? Isn't this a little bit annoying now? You kind of want me to stop, don't you? Yeah. I kind of want to stop myself, right? Um, but Jesus says he's going to stand there knocking until we hear his voice. <laughs> so do we hear him this morning? Do you hear him knock? Do you hear his voice? Do you hear his voice calling your name like we reflected on together this Easter? He's saying, wake up. Wake up and and be alive. Be alive. When we're tired of our best days, our best spiritual days in the past, when we're tired of them being yesterday, we need to remember that they can be today. We can be spiritually alive today because Jesus is alive today. And we can be spiritually awake today because Jesus is here to wake us up today. Today. We don't need to wait till tomorrow. Today, he is standing, he is knocking, he is calling our name. And so there is fullness of life, even life everlasting, available to any who have ears to hear. So do we hear him? Personally, corporally, do we hear him? The gospel says we need revival. We need revival because it's easy to be a sleepy Christian. We need revival because it's easy to be a sleepy church. But Christ is here to wake us up. And 
That is one movie I don't want to sleep through. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. Father, for the fullness of the gospel, we give you thanks. You don't pull any punches. You come and you tell it like it is because you know us like we are. You know our, our sin, you know our failings, you know our brokenness, you know our half-heartedness, you know what we're really like. And yet, you don't end with rebuke. You don't call us to wake up and do better. You stand, you knock, you call our voice till we would wake, that you might come in and dine with us and us with you. This is gospel grace, Lord, that calls us to cast ourselves upon your mercy, and to live not merely awake but alive because of your goodness toward us. So bless us, Lord, sleepy Christians, and bless us as a sleepy church that we might have eyes on those things that matter most and follow you well in this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.